This morning I'm going to bring a message. I've called it Salvation is Healing. Or you could say Healing is Salvation. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about salvation, signs and wonders. It was very interesting, the mention of signs and wonders and the purpose of them. And um, we might get to some of the gifts. We'll see how we go for time. But, and how that all fits together. So I'll probably be mentioning some passages of scripture that are well known to you and many today take out of context. And I'll try and get them in context. And um, we'll try and explain a little bit about salvation. I don't think we can fully understand salvation. But we'll give it a go anyway. Eh? All right. Let's turn to John chapter 4. And um, I want to read this um, passage. It's about a miracle of healing that Jesus did. We're going to talk about signs and wonders, why Jesus did them, and that kind of thing. Okay, so Father, we just ask that by your Holy Spirit you would be here, that you would reveal to us your word, Lord, that you would change our hearts, cause us to be more and more like you. Father, we so... Look forward to the coming of our Saviour, that our salvation may be complete. We ask in Jesus' name that your presence is here to bring about your word in our hearts. Amen. Okay, let's have a look at this passage. Uh, Gospel of John, chapter 4, and from verse 46. This is the nobleman's son is healed. Um, so let's just read it. It says, So Jesus came again to, Ga- to Cana of Galilee. This is the second time he came from Galilee. He went down to, up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is always up. doesn't matter what direction you are. If you're south of it, it's up. If you're north of it, it's up. It's up the mountain of God. That's where God's house is. That's where God lives. So every time they talk about their journeying, To Jerusalem, it's always up. Amen? Not like when we look at a map and we go north is up, south is down. That doesn't work like that. So he came again to Cana of Galilee where he had made the water wine. Okay, so this is, and there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. So this is, we last time I think we talked about the, the water being turned into wine and the whole purpose of that. God is showing us his salvation. It's every miracle points to something. A sign points to something. And it's, what it's pointing to is the salvation of our souls. Jesus Christ. So here the same thing is happening again. It says, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Okay, so we don't know much about the son. We don't know anything about the sickness, but obviously it was a common illness. It was well recognized, and they knew that anyone who suffered by this sickness or this fever or whatever it was, was going to die. You see? Then Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. 
Okay, it's an odd thing to say, but there's a reason for it. He's just stating a, 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 a truth, a fact, that the people are so blinded that they need signs and wonders to believe. And we're going to talk about that. Believe in what? Okay. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then, in, then he inquired of them, the hour when he got better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Seven is the number of completeness, kind of appropriate because this boy is now saved. It's a picture of salvation. See, the whole world is sick and dying. We need a saviour to heal us, you see. And so... The father knew that it was at that same hour in which Jesus said to him, your son lives. And he himself believed and his whole household. This again is the second sign Jesus did when he had come out of Judea into Galilee. Okay. So signs and wonders. And so the people, what are they making them believe in? Well, they're a testimony to the Messiah, to the Saviour, that he is who he said he was. <clears throat> There's actually five witnesses to Jesus as being the Messiah. Okay, So signs and wonders are one of four witnesses that Jesus is Messiah, but there's a fifth one that he rejects. We'll, we'll get to that. So... These signs and wonders are saying, are pointing the way that this Jesus is the Messiah sent from God. Okay, so let's have a look in uh, John, just back a page or two, John chapter 1 and verse 6. <clears throat> it says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Okay. This man came for a witness to, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. So that light is coming into the world. It's a witness. See, John... The Baptist is like the gatekeeper. He introduces the shepherd into Israel. He makes straight the paths. He's, he's preaching a gospel of repentance and baptizing people into this repentance of their sins and preparing the way for the Messiah. So he is a witness unto the Messiah that this is him. This is the one. But Jesus doesn't receive John's witness. Have a look in chapter 5. Verse 31. It says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, 
And I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from men. But I say these things that you may be saved. He was, he was the burning and shining lamp and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. You see, so here he's saying, I don't receive that witness, but that is a witness that he is the Messiah. But the first two we see in John chapter 8. So we've got to see why, the reason why I'm going through this is to show you the purpose of signs and wonders. Because some people today think it's for circus tricks. You know, to make money and wow people or something. But that's not what its purpose is. Its purpose is to point to the Messiah, to Jesus. So in John chapter 8, and from verse 13, it says, The Pharisees therefore said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. And Jesus answered and said to them, even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I came from and where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. And yet if I do judge, my judgment is true, for I am not alone, but I am with the Father who sent me. It is also written in your law that the testimony of two or more, two men is true. I am one who bears witness of myself. And the Father who sent me bears witness of me. So there's two witnesses, himself and the Father. Then they said to him, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. These words Jesus spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. And no one laid hands on him, for his hour had not yet come. So, so here we see these, these two witnesses, you see. It's the Father and Jesus himself. He speaks of himself as being the Messiah. When he was baptised in water, a, a voice from heaven came and said, This is my Son, whom I am well pleased with. Hear him, you see. The same on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is what the Father said to uh, James, Peter and John when they were there to see that. Okay, then it says, we'll continue on from verse 21. It says, then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Because he says, where I go, you cannot come. And he said to them, you are from beneath, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. He's telling them who he is. He's the Messiah. He's not of this world. And he's telling them who they are. They serve the devil. That's what they're doing. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. That's pretty, pretty, 
important. <laughs> We've got to believe in Jesus. You see? Whenever the scripture talks about faith, it's faith in Jesus for salvation. It's not for Rolls Royces or big bank accounts or, or any of that nonsense. It's faith in Jesus for salvation. Then they said to him, Who are you? And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Amen? How good is that? Okay. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? <laughs> uh, they're in bondage. Just like the nobleman's son, he's going to die. You see? And Jesus answered them, Most surely I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Amen? That's salvation. That's what it's all about. It's a witness to the Messiah who brings us salvation. It's, it's the most beautiful thing that you can ever experience. So we have the father as a witness. We have the son as a witness. We also have Moses or the law as a witness. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy. Just quickly, let's go there. Deuteronomy and chapter 18. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Then drop down a couple of verses to verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. See, the word that we hear judges us in the end. When you preach the gospel to somebody and they reject it, judgment day, that will be a terrible day for them because the word brings that judgment. So here we have four witnesses, the signs and wonders, the Father, Jesus himself, and the scriptures, or Moses as the witness. 
So the fourth one is the signs and wonders, which is what we're going to talk a little bit about here, which is the works that Jesus does. Okay, so in John chapter 3, let's just have a quick look there. John chapter 3. Verse, from verse 1, it says, uh, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. You see that? They knew that. I mean, what this guy was doing was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then in John chapter 5, from verse 36, you see all of them together. He mentions them all together. John chapter 5, verse 36. It says, But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me, that the Father has sent me. You see, so his works are a witness that the Father has sent him. Nobody can intervene into the natural order of things like the Creator can. And this guy is going about healing multitudes. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. Okay. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. So all the scripture talks about Jesus' coming. They were even given the times to the exact day to Daniel. I mean, it's amazing, to the exact day. And they missed it. That's why Jesus looked on their temple and said, look, it's desolate. It's gone. Why? Because you missed your time of seeing the Messiah. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive honour from men. That's why he couldn't accept the testimony of John. But I know you that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. (laughs) We see that so prevalent today. How can you believe who who receive honour from one another and do not seek the honour that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me, which we just read before. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You see, so there's the witnesses. The Father, the Son, Moses' writings... And the signs and wonders all point to Jesus being the Messiah. And the only way of salvation is to believe on him. There is no other way. That's it. That's the only way. 
Let's turn to Matthew chapter 11. First six verses. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his twelve disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? See, John the Baptist knew who Jesus was. But what's happening to John the Baptist now? He's in prison. He's alone, he's in prison, and he's being persecuted. And so he's wondering, he's sitting there going, what's going on? Why is it happening like this? John the Baptist was a Jew, and he understood that the Messiah would come and restore the kingdom of Israel. So he's wondering why... Is it happening like this? How come I don't see the Messiah taking over the Roman Empire and sitting on the throne of David and ruling as he should? (laughs) So he has some doubts, you see. And so he sends two of his disciples to just to check, you see, and ask him, are you the one or do we wait for another? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. What's he hearing and seeing? The gospel message and the signs and wonders. Then he quotes from Isaiah, he says, The blind see and the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed and the the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. You see? So when you hear the gospel message, if you're offended by it, you won't be blessed. You won't have salvation. You see, so here, these signs are a witness that Jesus is the Messiah. He's quoting from Isaiah. And he says, this is what he's doing. He's doing everything Isaiah said he would do. He heals the blind. They see again. There's there's truth being seen, you see. The lepers are being cleansed. The lame are walking. So they're on the way. The lepers are, are being cleansed from sin. The deaf hear the word of God. The dead are raised to eternal life and the gospel is preached to the poor. Preached to everyone. Poor in spirit. You see, they have no knowledge of God. Not the true knowledge of God. They were forever learning but never coming to the understanding of the truth that there was a Messiah that had to come and pay the price for their sins. So signs always point to something. They tell a story. It's the gospel of the kingdom, you see. It's the same as the water being turned into the wine. That's the word of God turned into the Holy Spirit. You need both. You need the word of God and the spirit of God in order to understand the truth and to have salvation. You can't have salvation without both. You can't have it with the word alone. You can't have it with the spirit alone. You've got to have both. If you try and have it with the spirit alone, you'll end up with another spirit. So healing 
is of the spirit, it's of the soul and of the body. Let's turn to Isaiah. And uh, chapter 6, beginning of the book of Isaiah. Let's turn there. And verse 9 and 10. And he said, Go and tell this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return and be healed. So here the prophet is looking into the future and he's seeing the coming Messiah. And he's saying that, yes, he'll be preaching a message, but they're going to be dull of hearing. They're not going to be able to see, they're not going to be able to hear. If they did, they would turn and they would be healed. So the word healed and saved, they're interchangeable. This is the same idea, you see. Healing means to be restored, returned to normal. That's what it means. See, we're not normal, folks. <laughs> Some of us are less normal than others. <laughs> we're all damaged goods. We're corrupt. We really are. We have the sin nature. But God has started a process of healing and he's going to bring it to a completion. That's what this is all about. That's why we need the Messiah. Let's read from verse 11 in the same chapter. Look at this. Then I said, Lord, how long? And the Lord answers him. This is Isaiah saying, how long? You see, it's talking about Israel being cut off. That's what it's talking about. They're going to be cut off. Somebody else is going to be grafted in. How long? And he answered, until the cities are laid waste and without habitant. The houses are without men. The land is utterly desolate. The Lord has removed men far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. But yet a tenth will be in it and will return and be for consuming as as a terebinth tree or as an oak whose stump remains when it is cut down, so the holy seed shall be its stump. You see, that's talking about Jesus. All right. So here, and then let's go to Romans. Paul explains this so well. Here in uh, Romans, uh, Paul actually tells us when the rapture is going to be. Are you interested? Okay, Romans chapter 11. Let's turn there. Okay, Romans chapter 9, 10 and 11. You need to study it to understand the proper context of Israel's role and God's dealings with Israel today and with the church. Israel is not forgotten about. God will come back and deal with them. They rejected their Messiah. They are in a stupor. Even today, they are in a stupor. 
because God has purposely cut them off so that the Gentiles could come in. Okay. <clears throat> Let's have a look at this. Uh, chapter 11 uh, from verse, we just read, pick a few verses. We haven't got time to do uh, much in here, but from verse 7 it says, What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear, to this very day. You see that? That's what he's done. And then just go down now to uh, verse 17. It says, And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. He's talking about Israel. They were broken off and Gentiles were grafted in. So he says, because of unbelief they were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. You see? Our only hope is faith in Jesus. Not works, no efforts will do it. Nothing we do can earn salvation. Anything we do to get righteousness is as filthy rags. They are the bandages that bandaged up the lepers. Leprosy is like sin. We're all sinners. We cannot cleanse ourselves of our sin. <coughs> and so here he's saying, don't be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. So there's two things. Goodness and severity. Those who come in by faith, he is good to those in unbelief, there is a severe punishment at the end. You see? Goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion. That blindness, in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Amen? So there's the rapture. <laughs> when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, Israel won't be blinded anymore. It'll be the 70th week. And we won't be here. We'll be gone. 
So there you go. So until the time of the Gentiles, the church and the church ages ended, that's what he's talking about here. This is when the rapture will happen. Now, all, there's so many verses here, we, can't, we don't have time. You've got Matthew chapter 4, verse 7. You'll see how it, there's all these healings. He healed multitudes. Matthew 14, verses 13 to 14. Uh, Matthew 14, 34 to 36. Matthew 15, 29 to 31. Matthew 19, 1 to 2. There's some of them. There are occasions where, where there are multitudes of people brought to Jesus and they are healed. This is a sign that he is the Messiah. Okay, now let's turn to John uh, chapter 12. <coughs> and from verse 37... Now, this is a little strange. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him. That the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. We just read that in Isaiah. And here the, John, the writer, is quoting that. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. See, Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus and spoke of him. Amen. How good is that? Yes. Eh? This is amazing stuff. This book is a miracle, you know. This is a miracle book. This itself. This is actually the greatest miracle in all of creation here on earth. It, this, this book knows the end from the beginning. No one else can write like that. There are codes in here that are just mind-boggling. This is a miracle. We have it. But you know what? People without the Spirit of God can't understand a word of it. It's a total mystery to them. Total mystery. They can't understand any of it. It's designed to be a test, you know. When you read it, you can interpret it two ways, in the flesh or in the Spirit. All the parables are like that. All the things that Jesus did are like that. You can see it in the flesh or you can see it in the spirit. It's a test to see whether you are in the spirit or not. Why are they in this unbelief? Well, let's have a look in Matthew. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 12. I think we're going to run out of time, aren't we? Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. It says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Now, you've got to be asking yourself, are these people stupid or what? I mean, he's running around healing people. 
okay? And they're saying, show us a sign. You, can you get your head around that? All right, there's something else going on, that means. See, when I don't understand something, it means there's something else going on, okay? That's what's going on. There's something else here, okay? Let's have a look at it. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. That's himself. The Messiah is here. You see that? Isn't that amazing? So why are they still asking for this sign when he's doing all these amazing things? Then in Matthew chapter 16, let's turn over there. This is the Pharisees and scribes always asking for signs. And he says that they are a wicked and adulterous generation. There's wickedness in their hearts. There's greed and selfishness in their hearts. And because of that, they plotted to murder Jesus because he was taking away from them, you see? <clears throat> okay, a wicked and adulterous generation. What does he mean by that? They're worshipping another god, worshipping idols. Okay, in Matthew chapter 16, from verse 1, it says, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and tested him, asking that he would show them a sign from heaven. Okay. He answered and said to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red. And threatening, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign and no sign shall be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he lifted and then he left them and departed away. So, so here there's this, this constant asking. They're asking him, the Pharisees and the scribes and, and the Sadducees are asking for a sign and he, and he says, you know, what's going on here? Well, they're in a stupor. Okay, they've been blinded. We've just established that. Isaiah saw it. He talked about it. He said they will be hearing but not hearing. Seeing but not seeing. They can't, they can't see the Messiah. And that's because of the selfishness of their hearts. But the problem is that they are looking for a different sign. Okay? This is the problem. <clears throat> The sign that went that that um, they want is the kingdom being restored to Israel. That's what they're looking for. They don't care about the sick people. They don't care about the love of God and the love of your neighbour. The two greatest commandments. They want position. They want to be in there on the ground level. Maybe I'll be at his right hand. King David, that is, you see. So they're looking for a King David. 
They think the Messiah is going to be like him. When they read through the scriptures and they saw the suffering servant, oh, that's somebody else. They didn't know that that was him. That is the Messiah. So you see, that's what they're looking for. And they're caught up in this life, the life of flesh, you see. So we read from Deuteronomy. Uh, well, let's, let's go to Deuteronomy 30. Let's go there. Look at this. This is what they're believing for and looking for. But they don't understand the times. They don't understand that something else had to happen first. Deuteronomy chapter 30 from verse 1, it says, Now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curse which I have set before you, and you call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God drives you. He already he's telling them that you're going to be driven out. You're going to lose the promised land. And you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. It hasn't happened yet. He's saying this is what's going to happen. You see? I think it's absolutely amazing. If any of you are driven out to the furthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. He will, he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and, and that you may live. You see. Also the Lord your God will put these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute you. And you will again obey the voice of the Lord and do all his commandments which I command you today. The Lord your God will make you abound in all the works of your hand, in the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock and in the produce of the land for good. For the Lord your God, for the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your fathers. You see? So he's talking about another time. He's saying that, you, would, you know, you're going you're gonna to obey the commands. You're going to be spread out all over the world. You know. But there'll be a time at the end when he's going to gather you all back together again. That's a promise. Isaiah talked about it. It's the promise of the restoration of Israel, you see. Have a look in John chapter 6. We'll have, you can also look at Isaiah chapter 9. It's all in there as well. But let's go to John chapter 6. If you want to write those, those, those references down in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. <clears throat> you can have a look at that another time. But see here in John chapter 6, have a look at this. Okay. From verse 14 it says, Then those men when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. That's reference to the writings of Moses. This is him. 
Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. (laughs) It wasn't his plan. He had another plan. You see, yes, that will happen, but it's later. It's after the church age. It's after the Gentiles have come in. So they're looking for a sign that refers to the restoring of the kingdom. And that's not what Jesus came to do the first time. That's the second time. Because all through the prophets, when he talks about the coming Messiah, the first and second comings are always together. You see? So when he reads from Isaiah in the, in the, in the synagogue and he, he says you come to do all of these things, to heal and, and to preach the gospel and all these great things, and then he stops in the middle of a sentence. And that next sentence, the next part of that sentence says, vengeance is mine. <laughs> That's the second coming. They didn't understand. So in between there is this huge time period. We don't know how long it is but we know that there's a number, you see? So somewhere, you know, somebody's counting up the souls and when that number is right, then the Lord will come. Amen? We just read that in Romans. Okay. Uh, Let's go to Matthew 17. You staying with me, folks? Go for a nod. I don't know. Sometimes I must lose. I don't know if I lose it or what. I really don't know. I just don't know. Okay, Matthew chapter 17, verse 10. Look here. I think we're on the same track here. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus answered and said to them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah has come already and they did not know him but did to him whatever they wished. Likewise, the Son of Man is also about to suffer at their hands. You see. Then the disciples understood that he spoke to them of John the Baptist. Now, there's actually something else going on there Because when you have a look in the Revelation and you see the two witnesses, that's got to be Elijah and Moses. You look at the miracles they do. You know, fire burning and consuming up people. That's what Elijah did. And in fact, uh, we can't go there, but it's the only recorded rebuke for John the Apostle because he was using that passage of Scripture and asking Jesus, should we call down fire and brimstone from heaven. <laughs> you see? Changed John's life. Read all his writings. It changed his life. He had a different perspective. It was all the spirit after that. He knew, even though he was right biblically, he was wrong. He was of another spirit. Okay. And then, of course, you know, in Acts 
it talks about this, the disciples, you know, they're asking, now is the time for the kingdom to be restored. So constantly they're looking for signs to see that the kingdom is restored. You can go to uh, uh, Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, Luke chapter 19, verse 11, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Just write them down, look them up in your own time. We haven't got time this morning. So Israel is going to be restored, you see. And they thought immediately, actually let's have a look at the Luke one. Luke chapter 19. Let's have a look here. Luke 19. One verse, verse 11. Now as they heard these things, he spoke another parable because he was near Jerusalem and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. You see? That's what they thought. Oh, look at this guy. This has got to be him. The kingdom of God's going to appear immediately. So he tells them a parable, a parable of the miners, which is, you know, he's going to leave, and then he'll come back later. He's trying to get this picture across to them. I'm going to leave a deposit with you. A revelation. The Spirit of Christ. And what you do with it will determine where you are in the kingdom. Then I'll come back later, you see. Because they thought he was, the kingdom was going to appear immediately. See, that's why he told the parable. Say, no, no, not yet. Be later. So all the signs and wonders that Jesus did are a witness that Jesus is the Son of God. So salvation is not the restoration of Israel, that's the old covenant, but healing of the whole man, that's the new covenant. You see that? So we've got to, in today's churches around the world, they're mixing the two covenants up. They, they do a mixture to confuse people, to take people's money. That's what it's all about. It's all about the money, okay? It's not about anything else. It's people wanting an easy lifestyle and getting a lot of money for nothing. So what they do is they, 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 um, they distort the scriptures. They, they butcher them. They bring in bits of the old covenant, bits of the new, and they mix them all up and, see, you can have everything now and, it's the gospel of flesh. They turn it all upside down. That's what they do because they want money. That's all it's about. So you see there's a process of salvation. Which is easier for Jesus to say? You see? Your sins are forgiven or be healed. Which is easier? They're the same thing. He's God most high. Only God can forgive sins. So you see, salvation is in soul, it's, it's in spirit, soul, and body. But it's a process. So when we're born again, our spirit is saved immediately. I am saved. But then what happens is there's this lifetime process in me where because my mind, my soul, that's that my heart, the scripture uses those words interchangeably. That's who I am, that's my soul. It is corrupt, it's full of sin. So there's this process of healing, this process of being renewed with the Word of God. Amen? So I am being saved. And then at the very end, this is the hope. This is the hope we have. 
You see, we have faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. We have faith, we have hope in his return. So we're looking forward to the coming of Christ, the second coming, or the rapture. You see, so we're looking forward, we have a hope in his return because then my body will be saved. Amen? And salvation will be complete. So I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. Or I'm healed, I'm being healed, and I will be healed. You see? A good friend of mine's wife passed away only a couple of months ago and from cancer, and it was terrible to watch. Her body was like skin and bone, and every time I went to visit, big smile come on her face. She knew where she was going. Okay. <laughs> we could be here for a couple of more hours, folks. Uh, but we won't. Okay. So Jesus paid the price for our salvation. That's what it's all about. Matthew chapter 8, let's just have a quick look there. Matthew 8 and verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sickness. He's quoting from Isaiah chapter 53. Now, I just want to read this passage. I'll finish with reading Isaiah because we're running out of time. Um, <clears throat> But this is one of those passages that are taken out of context and kind of meshed in with some New Testament ideas and, and it's all wrong. Okay, Let's just have a look. at. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Let's have a look here. Let's see how it's written. Okay, from verse 1. <clears throat> it says, Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? See, they're sounding familiar, aren't they? You see? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when, when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs, and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. 
but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made, him, uh, they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It was put, he has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. What a beautiful passage. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Isn't that beautiful? You see, so Jesus paid the price. Now when it talks about um, that affliction, that's everything that he suffered on the cross. It's not just the, the lashes on his back, okay? So the thing is, is this is a prophecy and prophecy is speaking the mind of God. It's not about telling the future. It has patterns in it, but it's speaking the mind of God. And Isaiah is speaking of Christ, of his crucifixion, 720 years before it happened. Yet he speaks in past tense. You notice that all the way through? It's all past tense. Why is that? Because he's speaking the mind of God. Where is God? He's in eternity. He sees the end from the beginning. You see that? So that's what's happening here. So the mind of God sees our salvation as complete. He's talking about when you will be with him and have a glorified body. There will be no more sin, no more corruption. That will all be gone. That's what this passage in Isaiah is talking about. It's not telling you about the process. The New Testament tells you about the process. That you're going to be here and you're going to suffer all these things and you'll go through trials and tribulations and you'll be baptised with suffering and all this kind of thing because all of that's part of the process. I am saved, I'm being saved and I will be saved when he returns. 
But here, he's talking about the completion of salvation. Let's have a look at 1 Peter just quickly, and we'll just see how he puts it. There are other uh, passages as well, but we'll just go to 1 Peter. We'll finish up soon. First Peter in chapter 2, verse 24 is, is, the, is the main central thing of it, but we'll go from verse 22, it says, Since you have purified your souls, sorry, we're in the wrong chapter, go to the next chapter, chapter 2, um, let, well, let's go from verse 18. It says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable uh, if because of conscience towards God one endures grief, suffering wrongfully. For what credit is it if, you, if when you are beaten for your faults you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. You see, so he's talking about trials and tribulations. He's saying... Don't worry about the, the afflictions that come your way. For to, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins. Look how he puts it. This is quoting from Isaiah. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Past tense. But Isaiah speaks in past tense. For Peter, you think, oh, yeah, okay. That's because it happened only a few years ago. You see, but Isaiah speaks in past tense. Those stripes is all the sufferings on the cross, not just the, the whippings, you see. So it's a, it's a singular thing. It's, a, it's not the scourging. It's all the sufferings. It's spiritual, mentally, physically. Everything that, that, that Jesus went through was a price for your salvation. So what's happening is, is people get this confused because they're looking at those passages and they're saying, oh, now I don't have any sin. No, that's not true. <laughs> if that was true, I'd, be, I'd have eternal life now. I'd have a glorified body. I wouldn't be getting old. I wouldn't be getting sick. I wouldn't be getting hungry. Okay? All of these things, it's not true. It's a process. What Isaiah is talking about is the end result. He's seeing salvation at its completion. Amen? And so people get that confused. And then, anyway, it's, what they do is they use this passage out of Philippians chapter 2 from verses 5 to 11. We haven't got time to go there. But it's talking about putting on humility. And they say that Jesus was just a man anointed and that's how he did the miracles. That's not true. That is not true, you see. 
Jesus suffered as a man, but ministered as God. Amen? He suffered on the cross as a man, because a man had to pay the price for our sins. But he ministered as God. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can do those miracles of healing. You see? So, how about we finish with um, that song, um, Our God Reigns. Let's, can we come back up and we'll just finish off there. So you've got to understand that, that Jesus ministered in his godhood, he, in his godliness. He is 100% God. He's 100% man. But he suffered as a man for our sins. But his ministry was as God. God forgives sins. You see that? And so people kind of get that mixed up and confused. That's the way it is. That's how he works. He is God most high. We can do nothing without him. Amen. We can't heal. We can't save people. Only Jesus does those things. What we do is obey him. He has given us one task. Preach the gospel. That's it. One task. Amen. God bless you.